I've been away the last few weeks, as some of you know, uh, and just want to say thank you to those that have been praying. Um, a little team of us, we were in New Zealand first, and um, the journey is a killer. I just don't know that I've got it in me to do it many more times at my age, but when we got there, um, the Lord was doing some wonderful things, and we had... Um, uh, we were in two churches on the first Sunday, and then uh, we're involved with the New Wine New Zealand Conference, uh, and then um, uh, we were at the Christ Church, Grace Vineyard in Christ Church on the South Island for the last Sunday, and each place, it was each different, but the Lord was doing the most wonderful, lovely things, and it's funny, it was, I was felt exhausted all the way through, but it's in our weakness so often that he does the most wonderful things. And it is in our weakness and in our brokenness. And I could tell you a number of stories, uh, but I'm actually going to ask, I hope she's, she's got here. Is Yanina here yet? She, you are. Um, Yanina, why don't you come up? Um, we've stolen her temporarily from the children's work. Um, Yanina is one of my interns. And uh, there were five of us that went um, to uh, New Zealand. And um, at the first church we went to on the first Sunday morning, which was Grace City Church in Auckland. Um, now, I just want to say to you, I'm, um, I'm the seasoned, experienced, anointed um, pastor, speaker, international um, fashion icon. Thank you, Yanina. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I don't need prompting, thanks. And, um, and um, Yanina is a mere intern. And, um, uh, and something happened uh, at the first church. Just to say, Yanina is from Vienna. That will explain the accent. Yanina, why don't you tell us? Um, yeah, at the first church, I, I didn't feel that spiritual that day. But God still spoke well, to me, why and not? <laughs> because I I haven't really read my Bible the days leading up to it. <laughs> Carry on. <laughs> anyway, at the end of the worship, I just got this word from God that there was a couple in the church, and that they had quite recently lost a child, a boy. And I even got the name Daniel. And then during the two services, I went up to the pastor and asked him if there's anybody in the church who had lost a kid. And he at first couldn't think of anyone. And, but he had to ask somebody else. And then they said, oh, yeah, there's a couple like that. They don't really come to church that often. And I asked them, Did, um, and was it a boy that, that they lose? And they said, and the pastor said, yes. And then I asked, what was his name? And he said, Daniel. So I was really shocked that it was an accurate word from God. But, and because they were in the first service, we weren't sure if they were coming that day. But I was pretty confident that they would be there because why would God give me a word if he then wouldn't do anything with it? So during the second service, I was just praying to God what I should tell them with the word because I want wanted it to be encouraging and strengthening. And I felt that just telling them that I knew that their son had died wasn't either of those. And, and I got the sense that I should tell them that the son is with God and in God's hand and that, yeah, he's just safe with him. 
And then during the service, the pastor came up to me and said, oh yeah, they're here. And then after the service, he and I could go up to them and pray for them and I could encourage them. Isn't that wonderful? Um, and the thing about it is um, the pastor said to me um, that, that that couple were, were so encouraged and um, comforted uh, by that. And they hadn't been to church since their, Daniel, their little ba their boy, died. And this was their first time. And they came and um, God gave Yanina the word. Thank you, Yanina. Back to the children's work. Um, <laughs> And um, it would help if you did actually read the Bible <laughs> a bit. Um, unlike, you, no, I'll stop joking. She's gone, so there's no point in me joking now about her. Isn't that a wonderful story? And what I love is that, you know, there was Yanina. She was minding her own business. She was there on the team, and she went for it. And she went for it. And somebody was comforted. A couple were comforted. And um, I love uh, the Bible. I've always loved the Bible since I first became a Christian when I was 15. And um, if I'm honest, uh, of the Gospels, I have a favorite. And my favorite Gospel is John's Gospel. There's nothing wrong with the other Gospels. I don't know why, but from the beginning, I particularly got on with, with John's Gospel. I just find... Um, the discourses and just the way it's like, uh, lovely. Uh, and then in the last few years, uh, I've been um, reading uh, stuff about John's gospel and I had to do a little bit um, for my ordination, not very much, but a bit. And uh, I've been fascinated afresh by the depth in John's gospel and the way it holds together. And all of the scriptures do. Not just this, all of the scriptures. But I just want to tell you a little bit about, about John's gospel. Um, in, um, in Exodus, when God meets Moses at the burning bush, and they have a conversation, and the Lord says to Moses, I want you to go back to Egypt. I want you to lead my people out of their captivity to confront Pharaoh and lead them towards the promised land. Moses has a number of objections. And one of the things he says to the Lord is, what shall I say your name is? Who, who is it shall I say sent me? And the Lord's reply is, um, tell them I am who I am. Say I am sent you to them. And when I first read that, I thought, I thought the Lord was irritated. You know, I thought, well, just tell them I am. You know, it's like, all right, Lord, you're in a bad mood today. Uh, but I've realized that that's nothing like that. Um, but still, for ages, I thought, I am. What a funny thing to say. You know, I am, finish the sentence, Lord. I am, would you, would you, you know, not just I am, I am who? I am what? Finish it. And I've just re realized a little while ago that the sentence was finished by Jesus. Uh, the, the Lord, the Father was waiting for Jesus to come to give the full revelation of who the Father is. Uh, Jesus, it says in the Bible, is the image of the invisible God. He is um, uh, a chip off the old block, if you like. He's the spitting image of his dad. And he came to reveal the Father. 
Uh, in John's gospel, he says, uh, if, when, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Now, that's quite a bold statement. And in John's gospel, we see how Jesus finishes the sentence. I, in order to explain, I just need to say that numbers in the Bible times had a great meaning. So the number three in the scripture often refers to God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Uh, the number six is the number of human beings. Uh, on the sixth day, God created the first human being. Number seven is the number of completeness. On the seventh day, God rested from his labors. He completed uh, creation. And, and that's where, I'll just say this quickly, I didn't say it at the first service, but where, that's where so often we misunderstand things like uh, in the book of Revelation, the mark of the beast, the mark of the Antichrist is 666. I remember when I first became a Christian, I was really worried that my, I might have 666 on my bank account and then I might have the mark of the beast or, or I might end up living in number 666 or, uh, you know, they were just starting with barcodes. You know, is there a barcode that's 666 and, and all of that? And, and I would be worried about that. And I remember years ago, it's hilarious now, uh, when Ronald Reagan became the president of America, um, there were loads of Christians who said that he was the Antichrist. And the reason was that his name, his full name, was Ronald Wilson Reagan. There were six letters in Ronald, six letters in Wilson, and six letters in Reagan. And he was just a sweet old man, you know? And it was like, there was all these Christians, ah, he's the Antichrist, the poor guy. Just a very bad actor. And... Um, and, uh, and uh, a president. And, and actually, what, it, what, what, what we're supposed to look for is 666, six, the number of human beings, um, uh, three, uh, the number of God. What we're supposed to do is look for a human being who tries to take the place of God. Three sixes. Do you see? A human being who's trying to take the place of God. That's what we're looking for, not a superstitious thing. Well, anyway, back to John's gospel. In John's gospel, um, we see that there are seven, seven I am sayings that Jesus says. And this is where he fills in the blank. God says, I am, and then Jesus fills it in. And there are seven. I'm going to try and say them, and hopefully I'll get them all right. He says, I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. I am uh, the shepherd of the sheep. And I am the gate by which people enter. I managed it. And then, you don't need to clap. And... Uh, and there, there were seven, and again, seven, the number of completeness. Jesus completely finishes the sentence. I am, says God, at the burning bush. The question is, I am who? Jesus, 2,000 years later, came to answer that question 
This is who I am, says God. But not only are there seven I am sayings in John's gospel, there are also seven signs. Now, there are lots of miracles that Jesus did that you see in all four gospels, but John deliberately selects seven and he says, these are the seven signs. Seven signs of what? Seven signs to show that who he is, that he is God, that he is the king, that he is the Lord. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it amazing? So seven I am sayings, seven signs. God, Jesus is the complete revelation of God the Father. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. All I want to do in the time that is left, is I want just to look at the first miracle, the first sign in John's gospel. And the first sign uh, can be found uh, in uh, John chapter two. And I love this miracle. Uh, Jesus um, uh, turns water into wine by the gallon at a wedding party. Now, uh, when I first read it, I thought, for quite a while, I thought, Jesus, that's not a good way to start. If you, if you want to, if you, you don't get a second chance to make a first impression. You know, if you want to make a statement, then, I mean, who did you have doing your public relations, for goodness sake? If you want, you, then you need, to, you need to start off with a big one. I mean, raise someone from the dead. That makes a statement. Or feed 5,000 people with a little boy's picnic. You can get a whole sermon series out of that. And it just seems like he does this as an afterthought because his mum had a go at him. And so it's to sort out a little social faux pas. They didn't have wine at a, a wedding reception. Until you read the whole story. And I want to suggest to you that this first sign holds within it the whole story of salvation. The whole gospel is in this story. Let's have a little look. On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me, Jesus replied. My hour has not yet come. And it sounds like he was a little bit bothered, doesn't it? It sounds like he was maybe even a little bit rude to his mum, if you don't understand the context. And the reply seems really strange. You know, they've run out of wine, son. My hour has not yet come. You know, when I first read that, when I was 15, 16, I thought, well, if that worked for Jesus, I'm going to try it. So the next time my mum said to me, Michael, I want you to tidy your room, I looked her in the eye and I said, Mum, my hour has not yet come. It didn't work for me. It really didn't. But do you know when Jesus said, my hour has not yet come, the key to understanding is to understand that every other time in John's gospel where it speaks about Jesus' hour, it talks about his death on the cross. Every other time, it talks about Jesus dying on the cross. So a translation of this is, they've run out of wine, son. Why do you involve me? 
it's not my time to die yet. What's going on? And then Jesus turns the water into wine and he provides loads of wine for the reception. I've been to hundreds of weddings, hundreds of them. And uh, I think every single person, who, just about every single person who goes to a wedding, at some point in the wedding or the reception, it goes through their mind what their wedding might be like. You know, uh, if I get married, um, I won't do this. I certainly won't be that long. Oh, my goodness. I'm sorry, those of you that have been to your weddings. And, uh, um, oh, I might do this. I might have that. Uh, and, and you're thinking about, oh, what, what you might do at your wedding or not do. And I wonder if Jesus, as a single person in his humanity, as he was at a wedding, I wonder if he was wondering about his wedding. Because there is going to be a wedding. There is going to be a marriage ceremony at the end of the age. And what had happened was uh, the bridegroom hadn't bought enough wine in. Now, in those days, in that culture, the bride and her family and the master of ceremonies did everything. They did everything in arranging the wedding, in making sure it went smoothly, except one thing. The only job the bridegroom had, his only job was to provide enough wine for the wedding reception. And this moron of a bridegroom, this idiot, he couldn't do the one job. He missed it. He couldn't do it. They run out of wine. And so, and so, I want to read the rest actually. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 80 to 120 liters. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water, so they filled them to the brim. Then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. They did so, and the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. Through which... He revealed his glory. I wonder if Jesus at this wedding party, when his mum said they've run out of wine, I wonder if he thought at my wedding, we're not going to run out of wine. Because at my wedding, I will make sure there is more than enough for everyone. Because the wine at my wedding will be in my blood. That's what we celebrate every time we take communion. And there will be more than enough for everyone. So if you're here and you feel you've messed up too much, you've done this wrong, you've not read your Bible enough, um, you've had problems with self-image, or whatever your thing might be, and you're thinking, 
is there enough wine for me? There is more than enough because the wine is his blood and there is nothing that is too big. There is nothing that is too much. There is nothing that is beyond the pale which Jesus' blood does not cover. And it wasn't just at this wedding feast that he turned water into wine. It was a sign of who he is. It wasn't just that. It was the quality of the wine. You know, the master of ceremonies um, gets this dirt. It's dirty water. The servants knew. That's what it says. The servants were the only ones that knew. And he tastes it and he says, whoa, you have left the Chateau Neuf de Pape to the end. And then before you know it, everyone is drinking the wine and they're all going... Yes, un undertones of blueberry and licorice. Oh, yes. Nom, nom, nom. You know, and it's like, it's dirty water. But it tastes the best, the best wine to the end. Now, again, for years when I read this, I, was, I felt a bit cross that there was an injustice that was done. Because my thought was, why does, what, you know, it doesn't seem fair that this stupid bridegroom, he had one job and he messed that job up, he ends up taking the credit for what Jesus did. Jesus doesn't even take the credit. The servants are the only ones at the time that knew. It doesn't seem fair. And yet, my friends, I've realized that that's the only way any of us get in, by taking the credit for what Jesus did by taking the credit for what Jesus did on the cross. It's called grace. It's called mercy. We that's the only way. If we try and do it ourselves, then what we'll do is at best, it will be very, very cheap Prosecco. It'll never be good enough. It'll never be good enough. But what he did, the blood that was shed, that we drink when we take communion as wine, is enough, is more than enough. Now, I have told you already, I've been to hundreds of weddings over the years. And I have yet, in, I think it is hundreds actually, I have yet to meet, I have yet to see an ugly bride. In all those weddings, I have never seen one ugly bride. Even those who in the rest of life are a bit... <laughs> I'm just being honest. Um, on their wedding day, they look stunning. And I'm thinking, you know, they, the bride comes down the aisle and I'm thinking, flipping egg. What happened to you? How did you get to look like that? And I'll tell you how they got to look like that. For many, it was months of dieting. 
It was practicing makeup in every different way. It was, it was going to the hairdresser six times a week and having the hair done in every way imaginable until it was just right. It was having the, the, the bridal outfit um, uh, covering every contour absolutely perfect. It was having the bridesmaids' dresses there to offset the bride. And then when the bride comes down the aisle, it's wow. Now, the honest truth is, the church of Jesus, if we're honest, does not look very good. I mean, everywhere I go, there's terrible stories. We mess up, we do this wrong, we do that wrong, individually and corporately. We're full of zits. We are. We're full of pimples. We're not very good. But... There is a wedding to come at the end of the age to end all flipping weddings. Jesus is going to be the bridegroom. Do you know who's going to be the bride? I'll tell you. <laughs> the only thing that spoils it for me is so are you. <laughs> we are God. The church is going to be the bride of Christ. And even though right now we've got, we're like that. On that day, on that day, I tell you, we are going to be without spot or blemish. That's what the Bible says. Because we will be clothed in his righteousness. Clothed in his righteousness. Us, you and me. Because he shed his blood. Because of what he did, not because of what we do. And that's the joy, and that's the miracle, and that's the amazement. Do you know, I love watching at weddings. I love, I love it when the bride starts to come down the aisle. And everyone else, nearly everyone else looks at the bride. I look at the bridegroom. Because I just, there's this weird thing in me that I want to say, is he going to cry? Is he going to cry? Because lots of the bridegrooms in this church, they do cry. And, and it's like, oh, he's going, he's going, he's going. And oh, you know, you know that thing you don't want to sit, watch, but you can't take your eyes away? Do you know, is, any, is it just me? It's like, I don't want to watch, but oh, this is, this is painfully enjoyable. And, and, and I think what it is, is he's like, oh, that's my bride. Oh, wow. That's my bride. At the end of the age, when the church of Jesus comes down the aisle, our bridegroom, Jesus Christ, will say, that's my bride. That's what I did it all for. That's who I wanted. That is who I gave my life for. When we realize that, it changes so much. We're precious in his sight. We are loved by him. We are adored. We are adored. He gave everything for us. Everything for us. And do you know, this story, 
the first sign that Jesus did. I love it. If you didn't have any else of the Bible and you only had this story and you understood it, it's the whole gospel. John's gospel. Seven I am sayings. He completes the picture and seven signs. And the first one on its own tells it all. I love it. I just want to finish really quickly. We went to New Zealand and I just want to tell you, we came back for a day and a half and, um, and then went to Norway, to Stavanger, um, to do a, a youth conference. And um, uh, there were 2,600 teenagers there. And, uh, and what happens in, in Scandinavia, the Lutheran church is the state church, uh, but in Scandinavia, in Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark to a degree, I think, um, uh, um, confirmation is a big deal. And, and kids go for confirmation, uh, and there's a party for them, uh, even if they don't go to church. They're not Christians or anything. The situation is the same as in the UK, in Norway. But the, lots of the churches take advantage of that. So there's a whole bunch of 14-year-olds that are going to get confirmed, and it's a, it's a kind of life transition moment. And so the churches take them through a course, and they take them somewhere. And uh, a lot of the churches took these total non-Christians to Impulse, which is this youth event that we went to. And, um, and so there was loads of total non-Christians in the room. And on the first night, as I was speaking, it just felt like, I just felt so weak. I just felt I wasn't doing it well. And they weren't, some of them weren't listening. They were chatting amongst themselves. Some of them were throwing things. And, and it was like, I remember standing there thinking, that's it, that's the end. I'm too old to, do, to speak to teenagers. I'm just too old. I don't understand them. I'm getting irritated by them. I'm starting to hate them. And, you know, and all of that stuff. And then, you know, I'd, I knew I didn't do very well. And then, because we knew that there would be a lot of non-Christians, went for it anyway, because what do you do? And said, if you want to give your life to Jesus, uh, then I'm going to ask you to do a really brave thing. Get up in front of everyone and come and stand at the front here. And I remember... As I said that, thinking no one will come, it takes one to, to start. And who, which of these total non-Christians are going to be the first to come forward? And, and, and the atmosphere isn't there. You know, all those things. Well, to our amazement, they poured forward. They poured forward. And we saw um, just over 150 young people give their lives to Christ that first night that first night and and on the second day I'll just say this really quickly and then we're going to pray on the second day the Holy Spirit was moving so powerfully all over the room to a degree that as well as there wasn't any room left at the front or on the sides and there was about 150 200 young people being prayed for out in the corridor you know because there was nowhere else and and everywhere and and again, it was, oh, Lord, I'm too old for this. This is a struggle. Ah, da, 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 da. And then you see Jesus 
does it anyway. And after a while, I, I, I can't last a whole, I'm, I'm feeling my age, okay? And I was like, I'm gonna go to bed. So I got off the stage and I walked through the meeting to go to my room, to go to bed. And as I was walking, everywhere I looked, as well as the people being prayed for at the front, as well as the people who stood, as well as the people outside, everywhere there were kids. Clearly, the Spirit of God was resting on them and their friends were praying for them. It was happening everywhere. I had to go back and tell the guy that was still leading the meeting, you need to know this and address, you know, um, be aware and address it. And the point I'm making from that is this has happened all the time. It's not about us, it's about him. I didn't feel I did very well. But it's in our weakness that we see his strength. His power is made perfect in weakness. And we may not order enough wine in, but he takes care of that. The spiritual equivalent of Chateau Neuf de Pape, and that is our only basis. I didn't ask Yanina to say that she didn't feel very spiritual and that she hadn't read her Bible in the last few days, and yet the Lord spoke through her. But I'm glad she did. I'm glad she was honest about that because that's how it works for all of us, for all of us. We are weak, but he is strong. I am who I am, says the Lord. I am. Jesus finishes the sentence.